Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's the other lore writer over at Blizzard Watch, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hello, everybody. Hi. And then our other co-host, of course, would be the indomitable Joe Perez. And I don't know if you actually are or not, but I just felt like saying that word at that moment. I've never seen him dominabled. The, you know, that is that is a fair point. I feel that that might be a good assessment. I, I think I need that on a shirt now so I can wear that around. There you indomitable. go. Black yeah. shirt, white text, just yep. like block text. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm all about it. <laughs> so uh, we did, let's see, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it was. No, it was a month ago. Yeah, because we record every two weeks, and our last show was World of Warcraft related. And the one before that, we talked about overwatch and we talked about the somber reveal at blizzcon and we talked a little bit about the global conspiracy and what that could mean and we did get some email feedback on that episode which is great so we've got a couple of questions here we're going to answer but then we're going to move on and we're going to talk about something else overwatch related because after we recorded that show blizzard pulled a sneaky sneak and released a comic that i don't think any of us knew where was actually like going to be coming out or anything called Reflections, and there's all kinds of interesting stuff in that one. So um, let's answer the questions first. Our first question is from Gorquen, who says, Greetings, Watchers of Lore. In a recent Lore Watch covering Overwatch, he speculated that based on his position on Zombra's map, Reaper might actually be working to infiltrate Talon as opposed to having joined them. Assuming this theory to be true, since it was based on Sombra's map, can we assume that Sombra herself knows? Thanks, Gorquen. What do you guys knows... think? Because there's like a there's an interesting dynamic between Sombra and Reaper that was I mean when you saw the Sombra reveal the animated short, the way she was playing with him, with the door where he was like open the door and she was just like taunting him. There was that seemed like a more more than colleague relationship. 
Well, I mean, we know she gets people like we saw what she did to the uh, head of the the um factory Vol- they were in. Volskaya, yeah. Yeah, she had, she she basically likes to get information on people and then hold it over their heads. If she mm. knows what he's up to, she could be using that as leverage, saying, you know, hey, if you don't like play along with me, I'll tell them. But, you know, maybe not straightforwardly because she doesn't actually make threats so much as she just kind of suggests what might happen. So I don't know. It's possible. But on the other hand, maybe she, you know, maybe she doesn't really know. She just suspects because she is paranoid. Like, that's this problem with if you're into like I I write a lot about conspiracy theories, like in my own time. Me too. And one of the thing about conspiracy theories is that if you start believing them, you have to be paranoid because that's how you forge the links. The links aren't apparent to somebody who isn't a little paranoid you have to start going but what about this what about this so she could suspect but not actually know she might not have any real proof part of the whole thing about doing conspiracy theories and successful conspiracy theories and that kind of thing is that you don't just look at the facts as they're presented you look at the gaps in between them and that's where the paranoia comes in it's like well we know this and this and this so what aren't they telling us that would fit in between all of this. And that's where you start pulling things out. You know what I mean? That's also how we do a lot of tinfoil hat theories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's the nature of conspiracy theory building. You have to kind of like, you have to look at what people are telling you and then try and figure out what they're not telling you. And sometimes mm-hmm. you come up with something perfectly plausible, but it's not actually the case. I mean, we've seen that happen. Yeah. Um, so it's possible that she just thinks he might be doing that. And in fact, he's like a, he's full on for Talon and she's just like, but why would somebody from Overwatch join Talon? Not, not really realizing what he's like. There's, there's lots of room here. That's the thing is that this is Sombra's map. It's not, it's yeah. not like you know, a card from Reaper saying, by the way, I'm totally betraying Talon. Okay. Well, <laughs> Joe, I wanted to ask you, what do you think about the relationship between the two of them? So that was one of the interesting things. So, I was having this discussion with a coworker of mine last week. Uh, we were talking about, you know, just various goings on and particularly with um, some of the recent information in the comics. There's, there's one thing we don't know and that's anything about Gabriel Reyes uh, at all. Like we don't know anything about Reaper's life aside from he was in the super soldier program. Right. That's all we know. Yep. That's, that's all we know. What was the, in- what was it? Soldier Enhancement Program? They don't call it Super Soldier because that's bordering on Captain America. But yeah. But it was in that genetic... Super Soldier Program. It was a Super Soldier Program. (laughs) But we know that he was in that genetic program. That's that's all we know. And an interesting point was was right up. She was an orphan shortly after everything happened, right? What what if she's related to Reaper? What if she (gasps) knows? Because... And we're going to get into this a little bit later. And there's something that triggered this as, as a possibility. Oh, no. What if she's the child that he had that dad died? But what if she figured it out? What if she hacked the program? What if she knows who he really is? He could have lost track of her. He could not have known anything about it. He could not know what happened to her. You never know. I'm sitting here with the biggest, cheesiest smile and? on my face because that t- could totally be a thing. And we don't know. We don't know who she was either. Her, her, her existence is gone. Even if you look up any of the information anywhere, she, all of her name, her name has been redacted. She's just Sombra now. So here's my question: Do you think why maybe she so- the reason that she found the reason that she found that global conspiracy to begin with was was because she was looking for information on her dead dad? That was the theory. Ah, okay. Rossi, what do you think about that? 
it certainly could be the case. It might be connected to since we're going to talk about the comic book, I don't want to get too into it, but it could be connected to what Reaper's doing in the comic book. That, yeah, that's what that's what kind of like that was what the, the that panel was like. I wonder, and then that could be kind of why she's so interested in him because if she's figured this out, if she's thought about it, of course she's going to mess with him because he doesn't know yet. She does. She knows who he is. He doesn't know who she is yet. Yep. Oh. Oh, that's lovely. I like that theory. I like it a lot. Um, so yeah, Gorkwen, hopefully that addresses your question. Basically, yeah, if there's something on Sombra's map in that comic, then we, we can safely assume that that is stuff that Sombra knows. So she is aware that there's a link between Reaper. You know, I mean, she's seen the files. She saw the files. She had to have seen the files. And uh, was the Dorado map, El Dorado? Yeah. Yeah. In... Mm-hmm. There was there was a file there for Soldier 76. There was one for Jack Morrison. There was one for her sitting on the table. And we know that she was involved in that because there was the whole Sombra protocol thing going on. Um, so, yeah. All right. Uh, oh, hold on, though. Before we keep going, though. Yeah. That kind of begs a question. Sure. In the Soldier 76 short, he's going after the, Los Muertos, I want to say. Yep. Yeah. And that's her old gang. It yeah. Is. Why and would he have such an invested interest in it? Well, um, you pointed out that she redacted everything there is to know about herself. Mm-hmm. Maybe we have the wrong person. Maybe. Or we. Let's be honest. If you have two people that go through a program like that, they talk. In a military program, they're going to talk about the families that they left behind. They're going to talk about their wives, their children. What if Jack knows? What if Jack put it together? What if Jack but understood it? He's looking, again, I don't want to talk too much about it, but he's looking at a picture in the comic. And we, when we get around to it, we should mm-hmm. talk. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. Because there's a lot going on in that particular. There's like a two page. It's pages like 10 and 11 of that comic. But we'll get to that. Um, let's go ahead and move on, though, to the other email that we got, which is actually kind of interesting and touches on a few things that we didn't talk about last time. Um and this is from Undead Fish, who says, Two follow-up thoughts on your Overwatch episode. The symbol for the conspiracy that Sombra is trying to uncover is an eye surrounded by six dots. When the Omnics went into the Himalayas to ponder their existence and search into their deepest being for their soul, they came up with a religion that worships the iris, quote-unquote, as in the iris of an eye. They also have an affinity for balls and dots. Could they have searched deep in themselves and mistakenly uncovered something related to the secret organization and taken it out of context? Let's talk about that one first, and then we'll get to the other one. Um, do you think that there's a there is a correlation between the Shambali and this whole conspiracy thing? Do you think that there's a correlation between the Shambali and the Omnic Crisis itself? Well, I think there has to be a correlation between the Shambali and the Omnic Crisis itself, just for the simple fact that the Omnic Crisis is when the world realized these things weren't just obedient machines. Like before the Omnic Crisis, they weren't considered to be self-aware um so the shambali is all about their self-awareness whether it's directly correlated that i couldn't tell you but the fact that they this is the first time they've stood up and said we are you know what i mean like the funny thing about this is there's always the fundamental statement the fundamental statement of any sapient being is i am you know the kogito ego sum i think therefore i am that's what they are saying I thought he thought it was going to be Johnny Five is alive, but uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll alive, take that too. 
the thing about that is Johnny Five is alive is basically going a step further. Mm-hmm. It's not saying not just that I am, but that I am alive. But the first statement is always I am because you're saying it's like in order for you to say I am, you have to have made one jump first that you are an I, that you're not just a machine in a part of, in a group of other machines. That you, you are, are a creation it, that acknowledges the fact that you exist. There's an independent existence, exactly. There's an right. independent being there. So the Omnicrisis, we don't know a lot about it. We don't know exactly what happened. We still don't know how it happened. We don't know if it was deliberate or accidental. We don't know what the conspiracy is trying to hide. So we're kind of forced to just come up with our own conclusions. But the thing that keeps coming back to me in all of this, when we talk about Omnics, is that even a Bastion unit seems to be able to come to self-awareness. Bastion units were built to be turrets. And they were, they were built during the crisis. Yeah. Specifically for that purpose. They were built to be turrets by the om, the omnic the omniums themselves to go out and shoot, you know, during the war. They and yet they're self-aware. Bastion is a thinking being. I think it feels a like thinking the self-awareness being is that appears to express regret. Yeah. Which yeah. is even more interesting. It feels like the the self-awareness is a is a contagion. Maybe, like it but it spreads. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it, it doesn't either they built the Bastion units to be self-aware from the beginning, which is interesting because it implies that they realize even as they're making robots to fight in their war, they're like, but they can't just be slaves. So there's an ethos there. Either there's an ethos there or an evolving de- uh, understanding of consciousness. Either one would be fascinating, and either one would be a threat okay, if you're Joe. trying to create, you know, a, uh, your own robot servant race. Okay, Joe, your so thoughts. There's a, there's a bunch of stuff here that I that I could that I want to talk about. So the Omnicrisis is always interesting to me because of that 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 self awareness. There was an experiment done uh, in the real world. Uh, I want to say. 15-ish years ago when we really started getting on the AI train. And it was a series of computers running in parallel, uh, which were given a rudimentary set of AI code. And what they found is that when these 12 machines worked together, uh, I believe it was 12 machines, one would always choose to fail or not participate. And it was never the same one. And it was after the exact amount of time every single time. And it wasn't a hardware failure, a power surge or anything like that. It was the program made a choice to stop running. It said, this is stupid. I'm not going to do this anymore. Peace out. And it just stopped participating. Weird. It's, it's weird, but it makes sense in the context of if you're creating a robot that is designed to make choices and interact with the human world, right? It has to understand if I go left and the sign tells me I can't go left, something bad's going to happen. You're putting a logic system in place. It, Eventually, that system is going to learn. It's designed to learn. Even combat units have to learn. They have to adapt to the combat field around them. All of them have the potential to gain this sort of self-awareness because they've been built to do that whether we wanted them to or not. Now, if something else pushed them along, such as you know a computer virus or something that rewoke them up after they were all shut down, that is entirely possible. It could have also just been a natural evolution because... And I made this parallel a lot when we talk about like Azeroth and things like that. Things that operate like computer systems operate on logic chains. If something is being told you stay alive and complete the mission, it's going to do so as much in any way that it possibly can. That means it's going to be forced to adapt and evolve, which means at some point, inevitably, it's going to gain a value of self. It's going to wake up. It That's just 
that's how it's going to work. The program will evolve. Programs evolve all the time. We have smart tech that does it. We have smart search engines. I mean, we have predictive uh, systems in place that put ads on your web browser based off of things that you haven't even typed in yet, but it's the next logical jump. We're not that far off from this. That's number one. Number two, the eye is interesting because it's always been a symbol of enlightenment for everything else. The third eye, the all-seeing eye, uh, the spiritual eye, it's a very universal well, symbol. Because, I mean, you know, not to get too into my own problems, but since I've been having my eye problems, one of the things I've noticed is that the idea of sight is omnipresent as a metaphor for understanding. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, think about it with the first thing. If I said something complicated to you right now, one of the, the most common expressions of understanding is, oh, I see. Exactly. And that's, we, t we've, we are visual creatures. In fact, human, human beings have evolved. One of the reasons where we think we've developed tool use in the first place was that our hands are right in front of our eyes. Mm -hmm. We can look down at our hands and watch them do things and learn from that in a way other animals can't. An animal with side-facing eyes has a much harder time. Uh, when a bird unlocks a cage and birds are good at this uh, you know a parrot or a conure or what have you can actually sit there and use its its talons to undo a lock or a knot they have to tilt their head mm -hmm. they have to tilt their head so they can stare at it with one eye we can look at it with both of our eyes and that's that is hardwired into how we think about intelligence it's in quite a few languages we don't the, the words for understanding and seeing are often very close so i feel like that the thing about these units is they were built originally by humans. Mm -hmm. So they're, and they live in a human world and they're they jacked a, up to human data. They're jacked into a yeah. system that is defined by humans. So they're going to be using stuff that humans have already come up with to try and understand the world, but they're not going to be human because mm -hmm. they're not humans. Don't ha humans. Basically our minds are built on top of old hardware. Like the structure of our brains is Really complicated, you know, corpus callosum and neocortex built on top of older stuff, like older. They used to call it the reptile brain. It's still in there. All the original forms and you know formats of previous generational evolutionary stages of the brain are still in our heads. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result, we don't think we we don't have a computer in our heads because if we did have a computer in our heads, it would be the equivalent of having a univac hooked up to your current computer. And every time you did a query, you had to ask univac what it thought. You know, and so that's computers. Well, I mean, the the computer, the Omnics have brains that were designed to be their brains as they are right now. Mm -hmm. That's what's the, that's a big but, difference. Between so them. maybe, but at the same point, and if you look at operating systems too, and Windows is a great example for this. When we started at DOS, then built on Windows, the next version of Windows built on the previous version of Windows, and all the previous iterations were still there. The roots are still there. It's the same thing with Unix, Linux, like. It, yeah, right. It, and, it's it's, it's very not, interesting to me. I'm not arguing with you wrong. In fact, what I'm saying is you're actually right, but you're talking about code. Mm -hmm. We have new code. Yep. Every human being has new code all the time. We don't start off with any code. In fact, we, we develop our sapience through interacting with the world and, you know, oh, that's what happens if I do this. That's how we do it. We don't have code at all. Well, there's but, the whole there's but, the whole argument so, of genetic memory and all that stuff in there too. Yeah, but. but you're you're basically what you're saying is the difference between a machine and a human is the machine have brand new hardware and old spaghetti code, whereas humans have brand new code running on you know multiple program multi multiple hardware, including the old stuff. And that's fascinating to me because the different you know we're talking about was that eye symbol something to do with the conspiracy or did Sombra just use the eye symbol? 
because it worked for her mm -hmm. while she's studying the Omnic crisis and the conspiracy. We don't know that either. A lot of this stuff is from Sombra, who is a machine-human fusion. Mm -hmm. Sombra isn't just straight-up human anymore. She's a cyborg. She may not be as flashy as Genji, but she's got implants going up and down her spinal column, and we don't know. Oh, and her head, too. And she did it deliberately, whereas Genji's was kind of a byproduct of his injuries. Yeah, so there's... This is all very fascinating. We can't trust anything Sombra does. Here's my question, because I, I do like the idea that maybe they uncovered something related to the secret organization. Do you think that's why um, Tagartha Mandata was targeted? Or do you think he was just targeted because he was trying to bring peace between oh, humans and Omnics? Do I under mm. If I understand you correctly, you're asking if he knew something that Sombra would want to know or already knows and they killed him to keep him from telling anyone about it? Is that yes. what you're saying? Well, think about it. If, he, if the ultimate the deal. form of enlightenment is no, injured... Here's the deal. Here's the deal, right? Takartha Mandata was the founder of the Shambhali. He was the one that was putting forth this whole idea that hu human souls and omnic souls were like... they were Their consciousnesses were like equal. They were the same. They were yeah. intertwined. They were, they were, you know, they should be working together. There should be this peace going on. And he's, he's the one who's always like, you know, talking about the iris and whatnot in his speech. Oh, he was targeted by Talon. Talon killed him. Did Talon kill him because they were trying to perpetuate the whole hatred between humanity and Omnics? Or did they kill him because he knew something? That he wasn't supposed to know. Because whoever pays, is, their, their pays their purse decided that that was the next target. This is me pulling this completely out of my butt, okay? Can I just... Okay, go for it. <laughs> have you played Overlord? Yes. They have cybernetic technology that can interface your, your neural system with machines. We know this because both Genji and Sombra have it. Mm-hmm. We don't know what started the Omnic Crisis. No. And Zenyatta is arguing that human souls and omnic souls come from the same place how about we think about the first hardware ever developed on the planet earth that could interact and it exists right now where you can hook up electrodes to my body and hook up electrodes to your body and i can move my arm yep and it will move your arm yep yep what if he's not kidding when he says oh the souls come from the same place because oh. if we think about it there's there's some possibilities here. There could be, you know, the people have been talking about brain computers for decades. The only thing stopping us from building a brain computer is that, it you know, but hold on a second, because we already have a higher consciousness computer form in Overwatch that's been established. We've we, got the God AI. We have the God AIs. We don't know the full extent of what they are capable of or, you know, we don't know where they are. It is entirely we know, possible. We know what they're made of. We have a general idea. We do a general idea. Do we know specifics? Has anyone no. ever pulled one open and said, oh, exactly. hey, this no. is full of neural tissue. What, <laughs> is, this, is this cloned neural tissue? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, it could just let's be not put the robotic parts in the people. Let's put part of the people in the robot you know, and that's, see what that's, happens. And that's, a, that's actually a, a sci-fi thing that's been around for a while that's entirely possible. And I know that's something that's been talked about current day for taking people that are in vegetative states or... or um, uh, what is it where the disease where your brain is active, but your body's ALS, 
mm-hmm. your, your your body shuts down basically about taking what if they could take somebody who's suffering from that whose brain is still functioning and has that consciousness and shove them in a machine that allowed them to free themselves from their broken mortal well, shell even the even the impulse technology i was just talking about which you know of all, of all places i saw it on the white rabbit project i was gonna say yeah that's yeah. nice <laughs> but but um if you think about it what one of the things that keeps coming to mind to me is that you have this the, the technology is in the game you know what i mean like sombra is doing this to herself genji had it done to him um it, it's we have biotic stuff in the game too which is clearly based around nanotechnology to some extent okay well before so, we get too far off a topic here let's go ahead and go to the second question because this is actually like a good question and i do want to get to it before we run out of time or anything here okay um, the second question here says, additionally, when Junkrat was salvaging items deep in the remains of the Australian Omnium, he found, quote unquote, something and has been on the run ever since. It is never said if this something was information, treasure or what. Could he have accidentally come across another reference to the secret organization as well? Just some food for thought, undead fish. Um, it's a big robot brain. Well, yeah, here's the thing is we don't know what it is, but we do know that when he pulled it out of there, he drew the immediate attention of everybody. Everybody was after Junkrat. And that's why he hired Roadhog to keep him safe, because he had this thing that everybody wanted. So I had a theory about that since I saw it, that to me, all computer systems, all major systems, and I know this because my nine to five job have it is essentially a black box it is a log dump it has a record of everything that has happened since that system has been online so Literally do you think he has the black box for the I australian omnium he, i think he has the black box for the australian omnium which they were still looking for he happened to find it and what do black boxes have beacons that light up when you pull them out of wherever they're supposed to be and yeah i'm gonna go ahead that's my theory is that he has his he got his hands on one of those everybody's going to want that why there's going to be a whole lot of truth and information inside of that box. It's going to tell the story of what really happened with the Omnic crisis. Potentially, yeah. Because what happened with those Omniums was they were created by the Omnica Corporation, and they were all shut down. Omnica went out of business and bankrupt and shut down. And all of them were closed, all of them were off, and all of a sudden they started turning back on. And that's when the Omnic crisis started. So there's something, there's something in there that says, okay, this is what happened. Um, but yeah, I'm thinking that he probably has some kind of information related to that. Maybe even, I know well, Rossi, you were talking about like organic tissue in a computer. Maybe yeah. he's got records of that. Well, it's also, it's very possible that what he has isn't directly related to the Omni crisis at all. I mean, if they had a black box that recorded everything that went through it and keep in mind that these things went, back online and started effectively started trying to fight a war for their own liberation um they would have been monitoring the enemy transmissions they would have been like getting as much information as they could uh if they're they're you know i forget what they call their version of the internet if they call it anything but there's it would have been even more advanced and it would have had even more stuff on it they could have anything in there if it's a black box i mean you have no idea 
what they were looking at, what they were doing. They could have intelligence reports from all of their troops in the field. They could have all sorts of stuff. They could have um, dirt on everybody in the entire world, including who's behind the conspiracy. Anything could be could be could be literally. They anything. could have the entirety of the Overwatch data- database. Only no, they wouldn't have that because Reaper was very specifically looking yes. for that. So it's not hooked up to Athena, whatever it is. Athena must be outside of this whole thing. I kind of wonder sometimes what Athena is exactly, but that's another question that I'll have to wait another day. Um, thank you for the questions on Deadfish. Obviously, we got a lot of talking out of those, but I really want to get to reflections because there's a lot of stuff to talk about in here. <laughs> We've already hinted at some of it. Um, reflections was a new comic. It was released. It was. It's kind of like the end of the year check-in for uh, Overwatch as it exists as an organization. Um, it was stated by Michael Chu that this does take place canon-wise. It's after all of the cinematics that have already played out, all the cinematics that we've seen. So, um, yeah, it's a holiday thing. And what's fascinating about it is, yeah, sure, there's the whole thing in there with Tracer and her girlfriend, and they're getting together, and getting together with Winston, and they're celebrating the holidays. But in between all of that, there's this big two-page spread that shows what everybody else is up to. And that's what I want to talk about because some of these panels are downright fascinating. So, uh, Joe, pick one. Oh, no. One. Uh, I will honestly probably... We're going to talk about them all, but pick one to start with. I'm going to go with the Widow Widowmaker one. Okay. Which I, which I found absolutely fascinating because she's, she's visiting her husband's grave and she's laying the rose down. What's the one thing that she's not supposed to have? What's the one thing she's not supposed to care about? She's not supposed to have feelings. She's not supposed to have any feelings at all. So she's not supposed to have any feelings at all. Why is she visiting the gravesite of her husband? The one that she murdered. Let's, let's, let's keep that in mind. Why would she do that on Christmas of all days? I don't know. Seems a little weird to me. She has a little bit of a heart. Here's the thing though. She's actually said that the one time she has feelings is when she kills somebody. Oh. She's never said what those feelings are. Oh. It's true. So it's quite possible that the entire reason she goes on missions for Talon and goes on murders for reasons and so forth is to have moments of who she was before back. And if she retains the awareness of that afterwards, she might go and do that because she'd know the next time she goes and kills somebody, she's going to feel it again. Or maybe she just killed somebody. You know, possible. No idea. It's, it's one of those situations where... Again, the interesting thing about Overwatch is a lot of these characters' narratives are completely untrustworthy. You can't believe anything Widowmaker says because you know her perspective is skewed. Even if you take everything at face value, when she tells you, I only feel when I kill, you can't believe her. She could be telling the truth or she could be lying. There's no way to know because she's so thoroughly compromised. It's an, You can't even know if she knows what she's saying is true. Do you know what I mean? Like this, this is a, all of these characters have this to a greater or lesser mm-hmm. extent. Um, not all of them. Like I, Winston, I'm pretty sure Winston is, you know, Winston has no deep, dark, evil secrets. Winston is pretty much, hi, oh, I want to help everybody. It's like, actually, yeah, okay. well, you, you know what I'm saying, though? He isn't. Well, playing... no, here's the deal, right? OK, so Winston grew up on the moon with the scientists and a bunch of other intelligent apes that were kind of like going through the same program that he was. And those apes revolted and mm-hmm. killed all of the scientists. And Winston was the one that managed to escape. We have not seen any inkling or indication of what happened on the moon after that. We just know that Winston escaped. And you got to think somewhere in Winston's 
really optimistic, beautiful mind that he has, somewhere buried in there, he remembers what happened. And yeah, I, I, I think he's probably got his dark times too, but he just doesn't let people see them. He would rather live in optimism than dwell on what happened there. But I still want to go to the moon someday because I want to know if angry, intelligent space apes are still up there on that colony. We can move on. (laughs) (laughs) I just had this thing about her, though. You know, I I do think that it's interesting that when she said to, uh, I think it was to to Tana, was she said, you know nothing about Gerald? Gerard, when, he, when she said, you didn't deserve Gerard or something like that, and she, when Widowmaker's response was, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. That, may, you know, for all we know, locked in there is is deep regret. We don't have any way of knowing. It's true. It could also be, I mean, the other thing is it could also be her conditioning is starting to wear off. That could be part of it, too, that it's starting to fade, but we don't know about that specifically. Um, I'm going to point out real quick here the panel with Junkrat and Roadhog, because we were just talking about them. They are driving through. It turns out that is an actual place, like I thought it was. That's uh, Luna Park in Sydney. Um, It's basically what I find really amusing about this particular panel. Okay, number one, Luna Park is really distinctive. Like, you, that gate is really distinctive. Number two, it's one of two amusement parks in the world that are apparently protected by governmental, like, legislation. And if there's anything that Junkrat and Roadhog both hate a lot, it's the government. So it's only appropriate that they're driving through a protected park. Anyway, that's how they're celebrating their Christmas. I thought that was pretty great. Um, Rossi, what panel do you want to look at? Oh, geez. I was picking one panel. Um, I guess I'm going to – there's two that are close together. I'm going to use the one that's on the bottom. Um, Reaper watching the family. It would, or at least yes, looks let's like a talk about that because we were ta- we hinted at that earlier. So go ahead. Well, first off, the dude in the family is not dissimilar to the few vague pictures I've seen of Reyes before he became Reaper. Uh, he looks a lot younger, and that mm-hmm. could be a lot of things. He could be keep basing on Morrison and Reyes's ages. They could easily have an adult child, like oh, you yeah. mentioned with Sombra. Um, we know that. You know, Anna has an adult child um, who is currently Farah. So it's very possible that that is his kid that he is watching. Or it could be a younger brother or it could be a nephew or something. But they definitely look facially similar from, again, from the little bit I've seen. Um, so that could be family members he's watching. Or it could be somebody else. He could be about to kill those people. I don't know. But I do find it interesting that he is not really in a threatening pose He's just standing there. His hand is up. If you look at the at the picture, his hand is actually up on the wall. Um, he is holding on to the edge of of that alley that he is in, watching these people. He's just peeking. And it, it's interesting because it is not a brooding image. I mean, it is as much. I mean, Reaper, Reaper is practically a MySpace page. It's not I like don't... he. he <laughs> He doesn't get non-brooding, but nevertheless, he's not really doing anything. He is just watching them. Well, and I mean, and we know enough to know that he he really hates what he's become. He's hate he hates what's happened to him. I mean, it could just be longing for a life that he no longer has or can no longer have. Yeah, uh, actually, it could be yes. I mean, and or like you like you said earlier, one of the first thoughts we when I was talking with my my coworkers about it was, you know, maybe this is a member of his family that he is, uh, that he's looking at and like, that's regret or 
The other thing is maybe that's not his son. Maybe that's his daughter. Maybe that's, you know, it could be anything. But I mean, it's it's interesting just to note that it's it's definitely him looking on what is a Norman Rockwell moment. Essentially, it's a happy family at Christmas. And it's a softer moment for him because, Mm -hmm. like you said, he's clutching the wall there. But he's also not standing in that frame. He's not standing up. If you were standing up, he'd be very, very short. He's on his knees. So it's not. There's no aggression in his stance whatsoever. He's just observing in that moment. And I don't know if he's actually related to those people or maybe he's just looking at this instance of, oh, hey, it's a family. I remember when I had one of those. Yeah, because he and does I miss now. It. Yeah. So it's like a sad reaper in the rain, you know. Um, yeah. Well, he doesn't right now, but maybe he does and he just doesn't know it. And Sombra does. Anyway. Um, I think we have to talk about the one right above him. Though, yeah. Which because... is, yeah, we need to move to the one above it. Because uh, if you look at that one, there, there's Anna. She's there. You know, just hanging out, looking out the window, probably wondering what her daughter's up to. But there's Morrison, too. The two of them are hanging out together, which makes sense. They're both, you know, veterans of the same period of time. They both know each other. He Was he the, like, did he know that she wasn't dead this whole time? No, he met up with her in the comic. Okay. Um, well, he, the, he had a hunch it was her. He had a hunch, but yeah, he met up with her in the comic, the second Anima Omari comic. The picture he's looking at is what gets me, though. That is so clearly him. That's him in a dad shirt. Yeah, that is. You don't get much more him than that guy, except it that looks like a, a fishing vest or something. I mean, it looks like Race Bannon from Johnny Quest. That's yeah, a little bit. Like. <laughs> the dude's got a big old smile on his face, which you know don't see a lot of on Soldier. Uh, but the guy he's with, who is that? Who is the dude with anime hair? Who is this you know paladin from World of Warcraft that he's palling around with? Um, seriously, that that fascinates me. I have no idea who it is. I think that like he's got his arm around him. It definitely looks like a, you know what I'm saying? That there's def, there's definitely, it's a, at least a comradeship moment, if not actual friends or family. Who is that? That fascinates me. Is that, that dude's loud? Got dark, yeah. That, that dude's got dark hair. Yeah. He could be a number of people. But, One of the people he could be is the dude who's below him in the next panel. You know, uh, that's, there's possibilities here. And I, I'd love to know what's going on in this picture. What are the two of them doing? Do they just hang out together? Is this a relationship of some sort? You know, I mean, what's going on? Are they just old war horse horses, like uh, both too old to really retire? I mean, too old to really do it like they used to, but too used to the life to retire, unable to, like, adjust and, and unable to really make any other connections? Well, Lau was is one of the six founding members of Overwatch, and Lau mm-hmm. is the only one that we don't know anything about. We don't even know what gender they are. <laughs> We've heard nothing other than a brief reference in one of their little news article blurb things that they put out that this was one of the six founding members. And we don't know where they went. We don't know what happened to them. We don't know if they left Overwatch. We don't know if they died. But I'm wondering if that person in the photo, if that's Lau or if that's somebody else. Maybe that's not a guy. Yeah, we don't really know. It's it looks like a guy to me in the picture, but I wouldn't swear to it. Yeah. What do you think, Joe? I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> like, Any it's... theories? Because here's the deal, right? 76 in that picture, he has white hair. Mm-hmm. So this was not like during the beginning of Overwatch, presumably. Unless, well, it's kind of a black and white photo. So maybe, I don't know. He was blonde. He was blonde. 
So that could be an early. Maybe that's an early shot of him and Reyes in the Super Soldier program. I don't think it's Reyes because Reyes has been depicted as, um, at least Great. from what I've seen, very clean mm, cut, clean cut, very short hair, traditional like, um, you know, it, sort of. I hate to say it like this, but like the traditional Hispanic male hair type thing, where it's like close cropped and, and tight and curly. Okay. Um. So I don't. I, maybe not that. Um. You know, maybe it's. It could be his son. It could be something like that. Because, I mean, that could be also why those two are hanging out together. He can't go to see his son anymore because he's supposed to be dead. She can't go see her daughter. So, Misery Loves Company and two old war horses that are sharing the same wounds. That that could be I what's mean, going in, on there. Yeah. In the old so- Soldiers comic, they pretty much, they met up and they agreed to kind of stick together. Um, there wasn't really any mention of Winston or, or going to see Winston or going to see what was going on with the whole recall situation. Um, I don't think either one of them would show up for a recall anyway because they're supposed to be dead, right? Yep. Um, speaking of which, all the way over on the other side, we have a shot of Farah. And Farah, of course, is on his daughter. Farah is sitting with a gentleman who is not her boyfriend, according to Michael Chu. Um, they are sitting in a cafe someplace where it's snowing, and on the TV behind them is a hockey game complete with a Canadian flag everybody's suggesting that that's her dad. And I'm, since they, since Michael Chu very specifically said she's not on a date, I'm going to assume that that is her father that she's visiting. It would have to be. Cause the only other thing that I even thought of is it could have been Sala uh, from her comic, but like, which is also theoretically possible. It could not be a date because in the comic, Sala has white hair at the sides. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. And she did promise him dinner if they lived. Oh, do you think like, she's cashing in on dinner? It could be it could be them cashing in. It could not it doesn't have to be a date. It could just be like remember at the at the point like the whole point of her comic was your unit is your family. Right. You do things with your family. And she got Sala out of there. And Sala like the whole big panel and it's like where she asks, "Are you dead?" and he's "Are you still alive?" and he goes, "No." And she goes, "Well, I guess I'm not buying dinner." He's like, "Wait, maybe maybe I'm a little bit alive." <laughs> maybe I'm a little alive. So <laughs> Looking at the panel below that, where you see him on the stretcher, he's got gray on both sides of his head. It's entirely possible that that's solid. He's just cashing in. Could be her dad. Could be a non-date with one of her her unit mates. Maybe I am. I'm. I'm looking at the panel now in question. That might be him. You can see there's definitely there is distinctly two different tones of hair on the side of his head. Yeah, his that head. is that there is a little bit of a resemblance there. I don't know, Rossi. What do you think about this whole thing? Well, sure. Ask me while I'm looking the dude up. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I, well, you could go ahead and look up the dude no. and we'll keep talking. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think it's a bad idea and it certainly could be. You know, it's one of those things where this is a somewhat stylized comic. So it's kind of hard. Certain things like I went and looked up Luna Park and Luna Park's face is almost completely hidden by Junkrat and uh, Roadhog's mm-hmm. car. So I didn't recognize it at all. Right, but the towers are really distinctive. No, it's it's there. Once you actually know it's Luna Park, then it's, yeah. it's obviously there. Um, I don't... It, it, solid, to my knowledge, he didn't have any connection to Canada, did he? We I don't know. think he did, and the they other just, thing... You know, if it is solid, they just decided, we just need some Timmy's, man. We gotta go to Timmy's. <laughs> we gotta go to Timmy's. Yeah, well, I, it looks like they're eating spaghetti or something, but... Um... Definitely wouldn't go to Tim Hortons for spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing that I'm thinking is that two-toned hair he looks a lot older than she does maybe and they look like they're about the same age in the comic right around the same age he might even be a little bit younger than she is in the comic so that's the only reason why i'm kind of like i don't know 
it's her, it's quite possible it's her dad, but if it's her dad, we don't know anything about the dude, really. Except that no, the he does <laughs> Except that his wife is alive, or, well, um, Sarah's mom is alive, and he doesn't know it. Yeah, but we don't even know what their relationship was at that point. They could have been divorced years earlier. Yeah. We really have no concept. Um, but since since that panel is right next to Torbjorn getting it on, uh, I'm going to pick that one next, because that panel is just sweet. Um, Torbjorn has a million children. Okay, so there's like eight of them. But he has a lot of children. <laughs> he has a lot of children, and they're You're all... You're assuming they're, they're his children. They are his children, according to Michael Chu on Twitter. It's confirmed. They're all his. Those are all Torbjorn's kids. None of those are Reinhardt's kids. Um, That's amazing. Reinhardt, Reinhardt is sitting there um, having, you know, doing the entertaining part, because... He's reading them a story of some kind. I don't know what kind he's reading. But Night before could... Christmas. Come, children! Let me tell you of winter in the mountains! <laughs> All I can think about is uh, at uh, BlizzCon, there was the Overwatch voice actors panel, and yep. uh, DePaul, the guy that does Reinhardt's voice, <laughs> every every now and again, he'd just like, shout, Candy! And like, huck candy into the audience. <laughs> he had like a big bag with him. Yeah, that's like the, the guy who plays uh, Lucio did all those vines of himself. Oh, he was guys. amazing too. Um, it was oh. it was really fun seeing those guys like actually get into character and just talk about how much. Also, fun they had with I gotta them. say that's an adorable little cat they have. But um, yeah, so you've got Torbjorn's whole family, and you've got Torbjorn and his wife there, um, who are like canoodling on a bench in front of the fire. Uh, Torbjorn's dressed up like Santa. Um, of course. Yeah, this this is one of the two panels that so annoyed Alex because it looks like Torbjorn's wife is significantly younger than he is. And apparently that don't fly with Alex Ebart. But at any rate, yeah, I just like it because it's a straight up happy little Christmas thing. And it's just the two of them hanging out with, you know, Torbjorn's entire immense family. I like it because we didn't know that Torbjorn had a family. We had Much no idea what his personal yeah. We had no idea what his personal life looked like. Also, there are not enough stockings on that fireplace for all of those children. So where are the other ones? Well, Hanging from the turret. If you've seen the, the did you guys either guys see the King Arthur movie that Clive Owen is in? Uh, no. No. One, one of the characters only named one of his kids. He has like twelve kids, but he only named one of them because he he got he got too tired to name the rest of them. Oh, no. uh, I feel I feel like Torbjorn would be like that with stockings. Like ah, share a stocking. I just there's so many of you. I can't. There's no room. But there'll be a fire if I try to put that many stockings up. So yeah, there are. My God, this man has a lot. He has a lot of children, eight. and one of them he has is eight in there, right? And one of them is very young still, like crawling. Some of these, some of these kids have to be twins. Like there's two kids in the back that absolutely have to be the twins. Ones, yeah, yeah, the yeah. ones on Reinhardt's like shoulders, they look like twins. Yes. Um. So just just in terms of like you know wh- how many you know his wife's been going through some significant amounts of labor, I feel really bad for her. Well, she's probably. You didn't seem all that upset about it, so I'm not worried. I was that gonna much. say she looks like she's perfectly content with being a mom, so that's uh, good. Yeah. But I also like the fact that you know Grandpa Reinhardt's hanging out on the chair. I I like the fact that there's like this implication that Torbjorn and Reinhardt they're buddies, they're old buddies, and they and they still hang out. Yeah, you know, I, I, recall I mean, or sense. no recall, they still hang out um, because they've got that connection with the old Overwatch team, which you can see there is a photo up above the fireplace. That's the original squad up above there. That's a photo of the original squad. Yeah, yeah it's the one. It's actually very similar to the image that was originally mm-hmm. produced for the comic that's no longer going to happen. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, somewhat cel shaded looking. 
Yeah. Um, the other thing of note in that panel there is that there's a newspaper on the ground, and in the newspaper there is a picture of Bastion right front and center. Yep. And page. people pointed that out because everybody's like, Bastion's nowhere in there. And that's like, that is the only spot that he's mentioned. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. The other notable things to note here. Genji appears to be writing to Mercy because he's writing with a quill pen up in his corner. And in the opposite corner, Mercy is reading a note and she's holding a quill pen. So apparently he sent the pen along with. What gets me about that is that, you know, he's he's with Zenyatta. Mm-hmm. Like, I did, did I miss a thing where the two of them hang out? Or yeah. No, yeah, the Zenyatta is his teacher for spiritual enlightenment and for him coming to terms with who he is. Yeah. That when was he, new for me. Yeah, if you he play was, Genji, if he you was, play his, Go ahead. I'm sorry. He, he was with Overwatch, Genji. Um, they brought him into Overwatch and they told him, hey, if you help us take down the Shimada clan, we'll fix you. And, of course, you know, what kind of choice is that? So Genji said, sure. Mercy fixed him up, gave him the robot body. He helped them take down the Shimada clan. And then as soon as he did that, he's like, okay, contract's over. And he left. Yeah, and and he tried his... to come to terms with what had been done to him and who he was. And that's when he went to the Himalayas and, like, did he go to the Himalayas? I don't know yes, if he went to the Himalayas. He yeah, he anyway. At, he's, at the very least. He, he studied with the Shambhali. And um, Zenyatta is like his buddy. They hang out. Yeah, and if you if you play uh, if you play in Nepal, any of the maps, mm -hmm. um, and you pick Genji and Zenyatta, there are exchanges between the two. And if there's not, Genji will you know talk about how he you know came here and is you know how uh, he'll basically do the whole color commentary about how he remembers this place and and how important it was to him. He so. was falling apart, and Zenyatta and the but rest I'm of the Shambhali kind of helped him come to terms with who he was and come to peace with it, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, so we've got two other panels here to take a look at. One of them is Hanzo. Hanzo has had some work done since we last saw him in the animated short. His hair's changed. He's got like an undercut thing going on. He has a new piercing on the bridge of his nose. Like, I don't know what you call that one. <laughs> The one right between the eyes on the bridge of the nose there. I don't know what you call that. Anyway, he's had that pierced. He also has an earring. He's wearing a winter coat implying that, you know, he's someplace cold. So is the blank faced kid beside him. Who that kid is, I don't know. Um, that is apparently a Japanese, like a holiday cake. According to Alex, he said that was a fairly common looking cake. Um, don't know what the straps on there are for. He's got a bunch of buttons there. Don't know what the buttons signify, if it's like a uniform type thing or what. But what do you guys think? There's a couple of people in the background, too. There's a couple of silhouettes, but you can't really tell anything from the silhouettes. Well, it certainly looks like he's buying cake for a small child. That's pretty much all I've got out of this. Yeah. Honestly, I can't tell if his hair is normally shaved in the sides or not. It is I'm not. Looking, I'm it's looking not. at him in game and the way his hair is presented. If you look in the cinematic, hmm. it's not. Yeah, but and he definitely so, doesn't have a bridge piercing either. Like no. that's that is one hundred percent brand new. Well, here's the fun part about Hanzo. Hanzo was one of those characters, particularly in the cinematic, where when I watched him, and when I you know researched who he was, he kind of fascinated me to a degree because he was very much. I mean, Overwatch is set in too far future, right? Hanzo acted very much like he was still set back in the past, like way back in the past. There, there wasn't. Well, he didn't the, seem modern at all. You know what I mean? 
it makes a little sense that he'd start to come into the modern day if the, the clan is dispersed. Right. There's nothing left for him in Hanamura. And so, now he knows about Genji not being and dead. And now he knows about what Genji I'm not seeing being dead. Here, yeah. yeah, what I'm seeing here in this panel is just progression. He has progressed beyond that person that he was, whether that was Genji's doing or whether he's come to some sort of internal conclusion. Who knows? And we don't know where he's at either. He's that wandering strap, the world still. If you go look at his portrait from the game, mm-hmm. that strap is attached to his quiver is on it? his regular portrait. Okay. But he doesn't seem to have a quiver on him. Yeah, there the is. You could see the silhouette of an arrow just above his shoulder. That strap is the quiver strap. That's no, it's yeah. nothing. It's the strap he's always had. Okay, so the little buttons that are on it, are those in game too? Yeah, you can see them. They're on the uh, portrait. Okay. What what he doesn't have are the you don't I don't see the capsules that he normally has. So he may be partially demilitarized. I don't know. It's a good question. Um, and then the, we have, tell me you're gonna talk about the somber one now. Yeah, we have the last yeah. panel, and the last panel is probably the most interesting because it all ties back to this other stuff. On one end of this bar somewhere in, I don't know where, I'm guessing either Mexico or maybe even New Mexico. The, the art on the, the wall makes it seem Aztec-like. Yes, so. yes. So- South America, somewhere. Yeah. One end of the bar, we've got good old McCree, passed out, drunk. In- interesting, he's not at the end of the bar. He's behind the bar. If you look at the, the panel that laps yeah. together, yeah. he's behind he's right. the bar. Yeah, but um, other end of the bar, looking at a drink. We've got Sombra. These two have never interacted with each other before. The last we saw McCree was in the train job and he was in the Southwest, which is why I said New Mexico. Like initially Mm -hmm. my immediate reaction was Arizona, New Mexico, somewhere in there because he's U.S. She's come to him. He's not working for talent to our knowledge because in train job, that seemed to be his first interaction with Talon. And what did he do at the end of train job? He kicked the thing off the train to save the civilians. But the other thing that he noticed when he was doing, you know, during the whole train job comic thing was that Talon, the people, the operatives that were on that train had moves that were very similar to what he had seen when he was training with Blackwatch. So he saw it and he recognized it for what it was and went, huh, that's a little weird. And then he kicked that thing that they were looking for off of the train so they'd stop pursuing the train. Um, now, whether this was because he just couldn't be bothered to fight off a whole fleet of them or whether this was because if they were using Blackwatch moves, nobody knew Blackwatch better than he did except for maybe Reyes. And he knew for sure those were people that you did not want to mess with. Good question. But he, here I think it's interesting. There was just... no implication that he was involved with Talon is what no. I'm trying to say here. But I think this is more di- a different thing. If they've never interacted with each other, I'm sure Sombra knows who he is. Yeah. He has no clue who Sombra is. And here's the thing. They're both, for for lack of a better explanation, the outsiders of their respective factions, right? Because McCree used to run with the gang. He what he used to run with Blackwatch. He he's kind of in that weird area where I'm fairly confident Overwatch isn't hundred percent sure where he stands. Like it's just my assumption, because if you come from that that sort of background would you trust that person 100%? When Here's with- the fun part. And this is, I'm going to tie back to something you were talking about earlier, Joe. Why would Sombra be going to talk to McCree? Who does McCree know? Who was McCree really familiar with? I'm going to go ahead and say Reyes for 500. Yep. So if he knew Reyes and knew Reyes really well, 
McCree left before everything blew up. McCree left when things got really difficult. It, like when all of that interactive mm-hmm. fighting started going on, McCree kind of like threw up his hands and said, yeah, no, I think I'm done. And he left. So he, I don't think he was there. I think he left prior to that whole explosion at the Swiss headquarters. He just knows that Reyes died. That's all he knows. That's, that's, that's as far as he knows. But if Sombra was looking for one of, oh, I don't know, her dad's old buddies. Who better than the person that trained with him in Blackwatch. So why would she be looking for McCree? Is she looking for information on Reaper or Reyes? And why would she be looking for information on that guy? Either A, he's really important. Like, he has something major to do with this whole global conspiracy thing. Or B, she's trying to dig up more dirt on him. She's the information gal. Mm -hmm. She's always looking for more information. Oh, yeah, so, I don't know. Power. I don't know. There what do you think, Rossi? I was going to say, there's two things that are interesting here. One is that McCree is out cold, and it doesn't look like he drank a lot. There looks to be one glass and one bottle in front of him. That's tequila. The bottle man. is that's, mostly empty. Dude, that's, <laughs> I, have, that's I, have drunk, I have drunk bottles of tequila in my life. So I have not, unless because McCree it's like has that one thing that makes me yeah. want to hurl. <laughs> unless McCree's tolerance is significantly less than mine, a half-full bottle of tequila with a half-full glass in front of him shouldn't have knocked him unconscious. Maybe. That Secondly, doesn't look half-full. That looks like there's a little yeah, bit left looks, in the bottom. The bottle looks pretty half-full to me. because We goes also don't know what number table. bottle that is. But, true. <laughs> that's true. But the bartender is not reacting in the slightest. So he is not particularly concerned that McCree is out cold. Sombra is looking at a glass very carefully. Like, mm-hmm. what is in this? Do, do you look Skeptically, at... Skeptically, yep. almost. Yeah. Yes. She's like, either either she's being skeptical of that glass or she's looking at the glass thinking, yeah, you did what I wanted. So did she do this to him? And to what end? Like, did she get him drunk to try and loosen his lips? Did she drug his drink so he'd pass out? And why? Um, there's a lot of stuff going on here or the two of them just hanging out and she's like, what? That's what I was. That's what I was kind of leaning towards is maybe because they're the two of them are kind of outside of their family. If you look at everybody else with the exception of, uh, Reaper, they all have something that they're doing that is important to them. Right. Everybody like whether it's Torbjorn with his family and Reinhardt, uh, whether it's Jack and Anna. I'd like to think that all of them are doing something that has something to do with something that's important to them, Reaper included. But we just don't know what that is yet on his panel. But what would McCree be doing during this time? With what we know about him, what would he really? What would he be doing? Like he, his character, if he's the old west stereotype, if he's that trope, he's gonna go to a bar. He's gonna drink. It's that's what he does. He doesn't have family. He's a loner. Yeah, he's a loner. Who who's also a loner, Sombra, and kind of a wanted criminal too. He is. Yeah, and so if two criminals are hanging out in a bar in I don't know Mexico, um, that's not uncommon. This is the there's a reason why I find that improbable, and the reason I find that improbable is the last place that we saw Sombra was Volskaya. Volskaya in Russia. Why would she go from Russia to New Mexico? What on earth could possibly possess her to go from point A, that kind of point A, to here? Well, I mean, you know, for all we know, she her she still uses Mexico as her home base. We don't know. She's, yeah, but I, I don't. Mean, she's from Mexico, right? Like she's 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 That's, from Mexico. Well, yeah, I'm just so, saying that I don't think that they're in Mexico because McCree is U.S. He's based in the U.S. Yeah, right, but it's, it's the old trope of the is the old trope of the the cowboy outlaw making his way to Mexico. You know what I mean? Like there's that, that trope there. 
And if they were already in the Midwest, if that's where the train job happened, it's a hop, skip, and a jump away. I just have my suspicion and paranoia, like, running rampant at this point. So I like to think that there's a reason for her to be, like, she's there for a reason. And that reason isn't because she's buddy-buddy with McCree, because she's not sitting next to him. She's not sitting anywhere near him. I'm thinking that there's a different reason entirely. And those two have a common thread, whether they realize it or not. But as I say, you know, as I say the words, whether they realize it or not, you have to think about this. Sombra, what's the one thing she specializes in? Information. So she probably knows more about McCree than Overwatch ever did. Oh, yeah, I'm sure of it. At this point. But, I mean, it would also be really interesting is a lot of her dealings are, you know, if we look at it, where was her first rise to power? It was dealing with Russian government, Russian corporate, or Russian, excuse me, Mexican uh, Mexican government, Lumerico in particular. And if McCree was a robber who maybe had dealings with them, he might also have things that she needs. Like it would stand to reason that if he stole some things in the past, he may not have necessarily given them back, you know? So maybe he's got missing pieces of the puzzle there as well. He, he could just literally have something physically she needs. I still think it's something to do with Reyes. I seriously, I still think it's some. I, I really like that theory about her being Reaper's daughter. Only he doesn't know it. I, I'm happy to give you that gift. Yeah, I, I, I still, I go back to that, and I'm just like, oh, that's really good. That's really, really good. I mean, you don't want them to be all related or whatever. But the, now, the only thing that doesn't work for me in that context, though, is that Sombra. In her origin story, it says that she was one of the Omnic, she was one of the orphans that was left after the Omnic crisis. Yeah, but if her mother died and her dad went to go to a super soldier program, and she was left behind, that's being orphaned. I guess because he was in Overwatch when all of that went down, and then Overwatch, you know, ran for several years successfully. Like it was in the news; everybody knew about it. Well, it, it's it's in, to me the reason that it fits too is I know a bunch of. Um, army brats where mm-hmm. their their dads were career military men and they never were home they were too busy working literally working okay and if let's say something happened where the mother died to me that's where it slots in because if dad never came back dad was too busy saving the world mom's dead maybe dad didn't know yet or, or you know or maybe he didn't care or maybe something else was up you know he made that choice to leave you know it also would make sense like she's if you're secret in, daughter or secret daughter or you know, when you enter a program like that, a high-profile program, and you're working with that high-profile of an agency, family's a liability. You sever ties. Is that the same as being orphaned? I don't know. What do you think, Rossi? I honestly think that it's quite possible that, you know, he didn't even know he had a kid. Yeah. Or didn't know much about her. I mean, he doesn't strike me as tremendously family-oriented, which is why that panel is so interesting to me. It's kind of poignant, like in a way. Might, I... I, I I don't, I hate to use like my actual life experience, but I know like for me, it was my mom. My dad was just working construction. He wasn't working and he, he wasn't like in a military or anything, but he was never home. And when he did have free time, he was off doing stuff he was interested in doing. And his, you know, his child wasn't something he was particularly interested in being involved with. Some people are like that. And there are plenty of people with bad relationships with their parents. He could also have decided, you know, hey, she's better off without me. I kill people. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, this is a guy who was running. I make enemies. Launch. Yeah, I make enemies. <laughs> I kill die. people. I make enemies. I, I, I'm a bad man who deals with worse men. 
Um, I don't want that coming home and she's better off without that in her life. And even if, you know, it, it's, you know, there's lots of reasons why Reyes may not have gone home. And what I, if that, what if that's part of the reason why he decided that killing, doing the wet work was so important because if you leave a villain to, to live, everything you hold dear is still in, it's still in peril. But if you destroy that evil, it can't come back to there's, hurt you. Again, this is a reference to, of all people, a Terry Pratchett book. Um, but he has. At one I point, appreciate those, though. One point, Commander Vimes, the the character who is in many of his books, is is facing down a handgun, the first one that's ever been created in Discworld, and the guy starts. He goes. The guy starts bragging at him, and he's like, "Oh, thank God, he's he's one of those guys." And later on, he's thinking, you know, if you ever have somebody who has the power of life and death over you, pray it's an evil man, because a good man who's decided he has to kill you will just do it. He's not there to have a sense of power over you. He's not bragging. He isn't yep. interested in getting any pleasure out of this. It's a distasteful task he has to complete quickly. So he'll just kill you. But an evil man will gloat. And Reyes, it's like interesting to watch him. He doesn't kill a lot of people in the so far that we've seen. We haven't. Actually no, he could have. He could have killed Winston dead to rights. He didn't. There's and he isn't. Like he's a talker, but he's not really a bragger. It's much more along the lines of let's get the objective done and go. So he may not be a good man, but he does comport himself like a costume supervillain. Well, for all that he dresses exactly. He dresses the part, but he doesn't quite act the part. Although, I don't know. The whole die, die, die is pretty, yeah, dramatic, overdramatic. Still. What was it? You called him a walking MySpace page? Yeah, very much (laughs) Very, you could. I would not be surprised to hear a MIDI theme playing something, you know, My Chemical Romance or something. <laughs> oh <Park>. my God, <laughs> My Chemical Romance. All of a sudden, it's a Black Parade. No, um. Anyway, uh. So yeah, that I I think I think we'll wrap it up from there. The comic, the Reflections comic, is really fascinating, and you can view that on. It's I think it's comic.playoverwatch.com. You can see all of the comics there, uh, including the other ones that we discussed. But uh, if you have any questions for us, as always, you can send those to podcast.blizzardwatch.com. Just make sure that you put Lorewatch in the subject line if you're going to intend that for this show. And we t- we'll take questions on pretty much any and all of Blizzard's titles. So if you got a lore question, you know, shoot it our way. We'll talk about it. We're not we're not picky. Anyway, uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. So um, just as a wrap-up, just, you know, final thoughts kind of question here. I'm trying to think of one real quick. <laughs> Uh, final thoughts question. Do you think that Widowmaker is losing her conditioning or do you think she's coming to terms with a different aspect of it? Rossi, go. I honestly couldn't tell you, but I do think that there's a lot about Widowmaker we don't actually know or understand yet. And it's quite possible that when she said she feels nothing, she was lying. Okay. Just kind of trying to cover? Just, you know, I mean... Who knows why she's still with Talon? I mean, even if she's not, even if she does feel things, what choice does she have? Like, can she join? It's not like she can go to Overwatch and say, first off, they're not even a thing anymore. But even if they were a fully operating thing, it's like she can go and go, yeah, I know I killed my husband who was totally one of you guys. But trust me, I feel bad about it. And I also killed, you know, 
I shot to her Cartha in the face and I feel yeah. terrible about that too. Whoops. Oh well. Yeah. Take I me shot, back. I shot her in the face, but you know, totally, you could, you know, there's just there's a point. There's just something my wife always calls the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. Where you you're like, I've gone too far. I've done too much. I can't go back. Mm-hmm. And that could very well be her. So, but we don't know. Okay, Joe, what do you think? Same question. So my theory is that what we're seeing is that she's starting to regain part of her humanity and she is living with that regret. But what if she already woke up one day and that brainwashing was no longer there? The genetic manipulations already taken place, whatever that that's there. She can't feel pain. She whatever. Fine. Great. But she wakes up one day and she remembers everything. She remembers the good times with Gerard. She remembers pulling that trigger and crying while she does. So she remembers everything. She's already in the perfect place to get revenge on the people that did that to her. But she's got to keep playing the game just long enough to get to the person that made her pull that trigger. That's a fascinating idea. I like the thought of Widowmaker being sort of the Garona half-organ <laughs> of the Overwatch universe. That seems to be kind of what's being implied here. You think? Maybe a little. Maybe a little bit. Okay. Well, again, if you have any questions, please send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Put Lorewatch in the subject line. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.